warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies, with just a hint of professionalism. Good morning, Scott here, as usual. With me at the other end of a Skype line in not-so-sunny York is my friend and my colleague, it's Stephen. Hello, mate. Oh, well, good morning from, from really, really York, yes. Yes, it's uh, miserable, miserable. The clocks are going back tonight. It's to give you some idea of when we're recording Hopefully we've sort of caught up by now as well with the backlog of shows. <laughs> I've got about yeah. six or seven in the bank I need to get done before this well, one goes That's, that's why we try to only record 11 months of the year to make sure that by <laughs> the time it gets to this point there's some opportunity for you to catch up because otherwise it wouldn't happen. Yeah. You do deserve some time off because you do, the, you do the heavy lifting. So as, as I do with the other podcasts as well, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's Halloween weekend and I've got to get two episodes out in the next two days. So it gives you some idea of what I'm going to be doing after we finish speaking after this. What we've got today was your choice for us. Yes. And may I say it's probably nothing that's quite obvious it's it's a bit of a an obscure one. Yeah, I would say so. It's it's overshadowed by other um, films with the same star and and um, even the 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 writer mm. um, of work that he's come to. And people, you know, might in some way be who are film buffs might be aware of it, but it's not one that gets a, a lot of discussion or notice. Really, it's Last Holiday. It stars Alec Guinness. It's from 1950, so as you say, a very early one. I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. Had x-rays taken. Oh, yes. Is that a vibe? Wonderful what they can do now, isn't it? Do anything, except get you enough to eat. Bird? George Bird? That's me. Ah, sit down. You married, Mr. Bird? No, never have been. Living with any close relation, mother or sister? No, I haven't any close relations. Just live in digs here. Some girlfriend, perhaps? Not now. Uh, any special friend? Some, some old pal? No. I had a great pal once, but he went to Africa. Lonely sort of chap, aren't you, Mr. Bird? Looks like it, doesn't it? But what's all this about? Well, Mr. Bird, according to this X-ray, you are suffering from a very rare complaint known as Lampington's disease. Come over here a moment. Now then, have a look at that. What does it do to you, this <laughs> Lampington's disease? Oh, no, that's very interesting. And it's a curious thing that nobody spotted it until about 40 years ago when Trevor Lampington wrote a monograph on it. You see, between the stomach and the small intestine, there's a... I'm sorry, Doctor, but is it serious? You want the honest truth, don't you, Mr. Bird? So that's Last Holiday, released in the UK, 1950. Directed by Henry Cass, written by J.B. Priestley, of all people, starring Alec Guinness, Beatrice Campbell, Kay Walsh, Gene Colley, Muriel George, Gregoire Aslan, Bernard Lees in there, Esma Cannon, Sidney James, Moultrie Kelsall, who I think will pop up in the Hall of Fame, along with Wilfred Hyde-White. It was your choice this week, mate. What's it all about? Well. <laughs> well, he <laughs> said. <laughs> Tractor Trader gets terminal tidings, causing cashing in for luxurious last days as man of mystery. He earns everything he, he ever envied, 
but declines due to death diagnosis. However, he helps others in the hotel as a humble hero. Okay, for those of you that didn't understand a word that Stephen has said there, <laughs> um, that, that synopsis was probably more obscure than this movie. Uh, Possibly, it, it's yeah. a comedy starring Alec Guinness about a mild-mannered salesman who's told by his doctor he's only got a few weeks to live and basically he's going to have a last fling at a swanky hotel down in Torquay uh, and sort of discovers that life is literally what you make of it. Is, is that a, a, an equal sort of like synopsis to match your own there, mate? Well, more than equal, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, absolutely, because of some misunderstandings due to um, what he then purchases in order to arrive at the hotel with, he gets viewed as being something he isn't, and therefore the rumour mill and the perception is that um, greater than him being an agricultural equipment salesman. Yeah. This mystery then leads to people treating him how um, they think he should be treated rather than how he's previously been treated in life. Mm-hmm. And it gives him the, the opportunity within his feelings that he's you know got nothing left to lose now. He's, he's, he can be politely honest um, about life and not no longer hold back in the exactly. British, British way with opinions and feel like it's not his place to say about things. And um, it's it, in some ways that there there are foreshadowings of like the Peter Seller film um, uh, being there and mm-hmm. uh, Forrest Gump even where there's this somebody who's who's coming from a different angle who is a bit more naive and mild mannered sort of speaking truth to power or yes, um, putting people straight on on their perceptions or their behaviours and that leading to improvements in these people you know despite their their own intentions and you know it's very you know it is a comedy there's 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 definitely the wit there with a lot of the lines which is you know characteristic of both the 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 script and uh, script writer and the um the performers because mm-hmm. we've you know alec guinness you know can do comedy and we know you know um sydney james has been known he's uh, done the odd, the odd one or two yeah uh, and esme uh, mm-hmm. Canon as as well, but um, it's not the, a bumbling you know, comedy though, is it? It's it's a no, very no. clever, very dark comedy in a way as well. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, there's a lot of darker thing, you know, seems in there. Obviously, the the deaf angle and and stuff, and people being chased for debt on things as well, and mm. um, etc. And people not behaving in necessarily the the right way. But you know, the the wit that's in there, which is is wit rather than you you're rolling about, carry on mm-hmm. um, laughs. The wit is actually balanced with the, the subtlety of also having uh, uh, the wisdom in there in, in a way with what's been said about things like you said it's about being happy for what you've got but also you know life being what you make of it exactly um yeah. and that this sort of wisdom of people being you know actually trying to be the best they can rather than actually uh, what they were doing and him being the catalyst for that i mean it's there's a number of separate stories because of different guests that are in the hotel that eventually they come together those stories because of him being the central character it's done well it's done uh, you know in a way that characteristically you would expect to, to work well from the, the pen of jb priestley i mean you know mm-hmm. most people um who um know me at all <laughs> well know my fondness for an inspector calls yes which is again um very got some interesting dialogue and subtlety in it where it addresses issues and this does as well it's a it's, it's a comedy undoubtedly but it's got the 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 darkness and the wisdom in it it's relatively quick as well in, in a way you don't it, it it doesn't really there's no bit of it that that drags i don't feel it just um you know you're jumping from one bit to another organically without you feeling like it's jumping it just yeah it just keeps going and keeps going it's it's got a story to tell but within yeah. that story are three or four storyettes, little vignettes of little, you know, little people's lives, little snapshots of people's yeah. lives that, you know, that he's got a hand in that, like you said, which is a very good observation, the Forrest Gump or the, or the Chansey um, Gardner similarity in being yeah. there. But just his laid back view on life in a world that he's had no experience of, 
you know, he's a stranger in this world, but he's pretending mm. to be something, or he's perceived as being something that he's That's not. That's more so about yeah. pretending because he's... He, he just goes along with it. people at first, doesn't mm. he? And then yeah. gives up. <laughs> and it's, it's just his outlook on life that then resolves, in most cases, the problems and the issues that we see going on in this hotel. Going right back to the beginning, I mean, we sort of skimmed over this. He's... he's He's diagnosed with a condition called Lampington's disease, which is a fictional disease, obviously, which literally only gives him, which is told, a couple of weeks to live, isn't he? And he's and he's told by this harassed doctor. Now this is pre-NHS era here, so doctors were still harassed before the NHS came along yeah. and, and overworked and underpaid. Um, and, and basically, the doctor tells him, in this matter of fact, you know, prepare yourself to die. So. The confusion comes about that he withdraws all of his money, his savings, which is a couple of hundred pounds, which is you know a fair amount of money back in those days. Yeah. And by chance, he meets a salesman in a shop that's come across these suitcases that belong to a, a lord, a member of the gentry, somewhere along yes. the line. Yeah. Quite expensive suitcases, lots of foreign travel stickers on them that they used to get back then. You know, when people travelled, they had the stickers on the... On the suitcase, yes, that will suit that happens to fit him perfectly. He's looking out for somebody <laughs> who's the, the the correct fit for the suit. Yeah, know? it's all there's a there's a couple of coincidences like this throughout. But then yeah. again, it's a movie and it doesn't matter. You know that it's all a bit oh that's a bit coincidental. It doesn't matter. And this is where the confusion then arises because he's got all of this money that basically he he can blow it. He can do whatever he wants with it. And this is the days before jet travel you know where people could just get off to a a, a sunnier climb or whatever so where, where do people go in 1950 torquay well this was a suggestion he was given the options of, of bournemouth i believe torquay and somewhere else yeah and, uh, yeah that's torquay um which is pre pre faulty towers days. pre faulty towers but also prime sort of like smack bang in the middle of Agatha Christie era because that was where she was born wasn't it I think Torquay and that's why you get a lot of stuff sort of set around the the south coast there so this hotel is populated with a a bizarre array of characters when you look back at it I didn't think much of it at the time but looking back at the people that are populating this hotel and the staff that worked there the maid that whispers what was that about the maid only whispers (laughs) Why? Is it because she's been told to keep quiet or has she genuinely got something wrong with her voice? Well, she... I know, I think she tries to uh, come across at first that she's, you know, she's come from from up north uh, Mm. in uh, grottier surroundings and she's suddenly in in somewhere that's posher and therefore she doesn't want to be noticed Ah, uh, as much, um, I think, because she doesn't feel that she should be there in a way. Should be um, seen and, and not he, heard. That's when he mm. says, yeah, me too, um, <laughs> yeah. in the whispering. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, with the staff and obviously the, the, the head of housekeeping, as it were, who is the main confidant for him and, and encouraging him in a way to be to be his best. Yes. Um, but, yes, the guests, uh, well, I mean, you've got the, 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 the man who runs the hotel, to be honest, this um caricature of a, a southern european greek italian yeah now no. gregoire aslan made a career yeah. out of playing dark dusky mysterious types you know he appeared in sinbad movies or it always be it was, i think he had a role as a carpet seller in one of them you know um but he was turkish yeah, he, he, but he played he played Spaniards, he played Italians, yeah. he played Russians, he played Arabs. <laughs> Typical it, it, he, of the era, you know, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and 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 fortunately, he had uh, you know he could get away with doing the same accent accent for all of them um, in the same way that um, Sean Connery could. I was waiting so... for that. I was waiting for the Sean Connery comment. <laughs> <laughs> But it's typical of that area. Nobody knew any different. It was just, you know, it, it just. In fact, it probably saved them getting a British actor and doing a bit of blackface, mate. If they were going to get, a, you know, why not get Gregor Aslan? He's Turkish. He'll pass for anything. You know, that's yeah. that was the attitude back then. Um, so yeah, he's the he's the owner of the hotel. Um, we've got some famous faces amongst the clientele. We've got yeah. Wilfred Hyde White. Now. Every time we come across Wilfred Hyde White, we say the same thing. Wilfred Hyde, in every movie he ever appeared in, plays Wilfred Hyde White. Wilfred Hyde White, yeah. 
it's, it's never any different, but it never gets boring. We never tire of it, and it's always a delight to see him on the screen. Absolutely, yeah. He just delivers every time, um, although it's the same thing he delivers. It's just what we want <laughs> from him. So, you know. Absolutely. So we've got Wilfred Hyde White. Do we, do we not find out what Wilfred Hyde White actually does for a living, why he's there? Is he retired? I don't he's, think he's, he's retired. He's an inventor. Right. Um, and he invented something to do with um, aircraft undercarriages um, oh. that won him some kind of national prize. Right, that was He it. then went on to invent um, what our main character, um, George Bird, as the, as, mm. um, from an agricultural season point of view, he points out about some agricultural equipment that he also invented, which is lesser known. Um, and then he taps, proceeds to tell him how he can actually improve upon that, <laughs> that invention, <laughs> but which gives him a, a focus because he was drifting around on the, on the prize money, not knowing what next to do. And um, then that gives him a focus to go back and improve that, which then ties into some of the stories of the, the other clientele including the scots industrialist and the the um the government minister which yeah. are, are, are there as well and starts bringing their stories together and it is that perfect sort of like forrest gump moment as you say that the the naivety actually is sort of wisdom to these guys you know there's just these comments that he makes in sort of passing you know he as you say he was an agricultural equipment salesman so he's used that particular bit of equipment firsthand, and he knows the faults, and he knows what can be used to 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 make it better, to improve it, um, and, and knows, you know, selling the equipment abroad mm. to enable the the competitor countries to basically then undercut the farmers in our own country. That that's not necessarily the 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 finest sense from a, a national point of view, and um, which is what he you know discusses with the the government minister and that you know again is initially taken uh, offensively because he, they don't like being criticized and then they suddenly realize that no actually he's telling me something that's that's um worthwhile thinking about and acting upon so you say it's speaking wisdom to power as it were mm. or, or just letting you know people who are in a position to do something about these things somebody who's from the ground actually voicing it that's where it's it's coming from and pointing out that the, there's a value there yeah. to that. Throughout sort of all of this, or t- certainly towards the beginning of this whole adventure in the hotel, he's seen as a man of mystery because mm. he's turned up in these expensive suits with these well-travelled suitcases. And, and as you said, he doesn't sort of say exactly what his background is, but then he doesn't deny that he isn't somebody better off. And he just plays along with it, doesn't he, throughout this whole opening well, sequence? Well, the, the housekeeper, oh, she gets it, doesn't she? She encourages him yeah. to to not walk around so apologetic. Apologetic. If people are, are seeing him as being a, a man of character, then he should, you know, walk tall and and let himself be seen as that because he is, you know, he's got some some worth to him. Mm. Everybody does. So why not play to to that and and let them find find out what he's got for to themselves say rather, than, yeah. rather than be so you know apologizing for for having an opinion yeah um, and that's the catalyst i think for going forward with him doing doing things that are not only going and you know advising people but basically just helping other people out that are, are, are in trouble yeah sorry mate it also ties back to when he originally gets the suits and the suitcases from the guy in the shop who gives him one final bit of advice, he says, shave off the moustache. Yeah. Because that moustache does not go with the the, um, the character of the suits and what you're going to be, you know, transformed into. Basically. It's very Mr. Ben, that shopkeeper. There, there is, yeah, I did think that about, the, I, I won't show whether that was a cultural reference that a lot of people would get, but um, very much the the that shopkeeper. Um, As if by magic, a shopkeeper appeared almost, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. And dressed him to be a part, yeah, um, as it were, and that you know is what he ends up doing. But he's not really been, as you say, he's not being false as such. He's just letting people see a side of him that he has kept buried, and and he's in he's felt inhibited by his own station, yeah, um, from not expressing and having the opportunity to finally do so. Well, why not let them them see that in for their their own sake? So. Amongst all the other guests, we've got 
the delightful Esma Cannon, who is companion, isn't she? She's described as the companion. Which is very old, old style, you know, which still, this was perhaps the, the last gasp. Yeah. Was, you know, beginning the 60s of, of these elderly ladies who were maybe widowed, who had a companion. Used, As you say, used to get that Agatha Christie quite yep, a lot. That exactly, was exactly, um, yeah. People had companions. Even men had companions, and and obviously, that there's uh, perhaps a different interpretation of that. With yeah, absolutely, she's she's there as this downtrodden, almost um, scapegoated, um, <laughs> no, mousy, and obviously we've been what she was she four foot four foot eight or something. She's tiny, isn't she, Esme Cannon? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she's she's companion to Lady Oswington, played by the delightful Muriel George, who, yeah. um, in the same sort of vein as sort of Margaret, was it Margaret Dumont out of the, the Marx Brothers movies? You know, that big haughty sort of like upper class woman that always used to harass Groucho. She's, she's got that same sort of air, but Muriel George didn't always play that sort of character. She did a lot of sort of landladies and charwomen and all that sort of stuff. She had a very long career. But those two, it's a great double act. And, and we learn, you know, halfway through the through the plot here that Esma Cannon has been dismissed as her, as her companion, which is one of the subplots that we've been sort of chatting about now. We also get to meet Sid James. Um, a very early appearance for Sid James. This is 1950. Yeah. I think this is only about oh, five, six, seven movies into his career. Just and, before and talking of somebody playing exactly to tape. I mean, it's, you know. it's the blueprint, isn't it, for what's to come? <laughs> it honestly is. The I mean, it even had the laugh at one point. I think when they're playing cards, he lets out the first ever possibly Sid James Cackle on screen. We hear it. Yeah, to see him to see him playing poker with his sleeves rolled up, you think, well that could be an, a Hancock episode. That could have been from Hell Drivers. That could have been anything in the in the next ten years that we'd see him in. And being a wheeler dealer, I mean he's actually not as um not as disreputable as he might come across no. obviously he is um, he's, he's got a lot of legitimate it, businesses, hasn't he? He's got, yeah, he's got legitimate business, but he he can't help having these sidelines sort of thing mm. because he's, you know, he's, he's somebody who's almost, you know, the barrow boy that's that's made Done good, good mm. um, and still has that angle with him in that he, he's wanting to sort of. Not only is he wanting to continue to to you know put bets on horses and things, but he, he's also wanting, I think, to some extent, to overcome. The fact that he's, he, he, you know, he's not got the cut glass accent and, yep. and all these kind of things. He is who he is. And so, you know, getting to be able to sit and have a drink with some of the, the more haughty people exactly. that are in he the hotel. In. He's been excluded until... Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's the money. his character turns up, yeah. It's the money. Money talks, isn't it? Because in any other circumstance, he would not have been accepted amongst that circle of people. You know, being the person that he is and the background that he had, it's he's probably literally because he's got cash. You know, but he, he wasn't even well. He wasn't even accepted before then into the mm. circle. It was only when he tries to make an overture to Alec Guinness's character and going over, oh, "Don't I know you?" And he's like, "No, you don't." Mm. And then he says, "Then he suddenly that changes from his old behaviour, Alec Guinness, to to embrace the new yeah. him, which is, but you know, we're meeting each other now, so." pull up a chair, have a drink, and meet the rest of them and the people that had invited Alec Guinness's character in because they perceived him to be a man of breeding. Yeah. Um, and they hadn't invited Sid James in because they didn't see him as a, as a man of breeding. He suddenly uh, is part of that group from that point onwards because um, he's, been accepted, he's, by he's, Alec he's been accepted by Alec Guinness. Yeah. So they think, well, if he accepts him, the rest of us should. And yeah. again, it's, you know... Trying to bring the, you know, in some ways, bringing the best out of people while also pointing out their worst in some respects. But um, yeah, this is James' character is archetypal, absolutely. <laughs> Talking of archetypal, we've got Bernard Lee, <laughs> who isn't playing young an ar- looking, he, yeah. young and skinny-looking Bernard Lee, who is not playing an army officer. So whenever he's not playing an army officer, what does he play? 
a policeman. A policeman. <laughs> so, if it's not a government minister. Obviously. No, no. It's always an army officer, a policeman, or N. That's him. But then, but then again, you know, whistle down the wind and all those other things. You know, well, this we, is there, there yeah, is uh, so much more. We said, so much whistle more. down the wind. There was a lot of range to him yeah. that is overlooked because of the highlights of his career. Yeah, definitely. Um, absolute quality actor. Not a lot for him to do in this film. No, to be fair. But it's nice to see him there, just you know, um, moving the plot along in a way that the little that he does, um, he does well. So, uh, so while we're talking about characters, uh, I don't particularly want to get towards the end of the movie too much because there's a couple of nice surprises, there's a couple of shocks. It does sort of twist and turn a wee bit towards the end. But while we're talking about the characters themselves, can you get your keys, mate? Let's take a wander up to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I think we've got a few people to talk about. Okay, Village Hall of Fame. For those of you that are listening for the first time, Stephen works incredibly hard week in, week out, compiling the cast lists of all the movies that we watched and working out how many times they've actually appeared on the show. If they appear three times or more, they get inducted into the Village Hall of Fame because we're not worthy enough to have an actual Hall of Fame, Stephen, are we? A village Hall of we're Fame is all, no, no. That's all, we, all we're worthy of having. Um, and as we say this week in, week out, perhaps we should have set the bar a little bit higher because <laughs> <laughs> the, the Village Hall of Fame is getting overrun. But as always, it's the people that we're not expecting are getting inducted and we're getting to know some very now familiar faces that we were completely unaware of when we started this podcast four and, four and a half years ago. So, Stephen, please take the chair, sir. It's the Village Hall of Fame. Obviously, quite a lot of people in this film who we recognise straight, you know, straight away for their faces from things that we've seen them in before, which not some of the the most popular names you would always recognise in films, as we've said before. It's amazing how many of these are ones that are the the unsung heroes, the 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 ones at the bottom of the tree, as it were, yeah. uh, the ones that are, are the backup people that are. are behind the scenes. As far as people who um, are making their second appearance in, in the films that we've reviewed so far, mm-hmm. we have Gregory Aslan, as yes. you said, um, um, who was previously in The Rebel. Campbell Cotts, who was... Um, Campbell Cotts, what a great Campbell, name. Yeah. Campbell Cotts, yeah. He was in Private's Progress. We have Harry Hutchinson, who is in um, Oh, Mr. Porter. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Simpson, who was in Cruel Sea. Ernest... Fessinger, yes, who was in Scrooge, and the other person making their second appearance on the podcast is a man named Alec Guinness. Only the second appearance. That's a prime example second. of what we said. Yeah. He should have been, we thought, seven, eight appearances by now, 100 plus movies, you know, we've only reviewed two. Yeah. Wow. So he was um, previously in Lavender Hill Mob. Of course. As far as those, though, that are making their debut in the Hall of Fame because they finally achieved three appearances yeah. um, we, we've got uh, John Charlesworthy oh, sorry John Charlesworth yeah. um, who was in Scrooge and Yields in the Night um, mm-hmm. Hal Osmond who was in uh, Night to Remember and Hell Drivers yeah. uh, Raymond Howlett who was in One Good Turn and Gideon's Day uh, Maya Selnika mm-hmm. um, who was Night to Remember Always Rains on a Sunday Lockwood West <laughs> Great name. Um, sounds like two surnames in a row, that <laughs> to me, but Bedazzled and Private's Progress. Uh, and Brian Worth, who was in um, Scrooge and Room at the Top. Wow. Now, third appearances, but how many people are going to recognise any of those names, to be perfectly honest? Pretty, pretty much, um, yeah. 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 Fourth appearances, though, we're doing a bit better because there's um, Esma Cannon. Obviously, we, we recognise her straight away. Of course. Um, Arthur Howard, uh, not so much mm-hmm. um, familiar name, but Wilford Hyde White definitely is another one that is uh, a familiar name. Yeah. And certainly, even if the name isn't familiar to people, um, apart from us, 
Um, certainly the face of Mr. Peter Jones is very familiar in British films from a certain uh, of era. Of course he is, and um, sitcoms and things, yep, definitely. Yeah, so um, he appeared a lot. Uh, we do have two people who are making their fifth appearance, yep. and that's Moultrie Kelsall. Spotted um, him straight away. He was unknown five, five movies ago to us, but I'm, yep. yep, straight away. But, no, Northwest uh, Frontier. Um, not the passage, no question. To yeah. Man who never was and Violet Playground and Lavender Hill Mob. So, um, and also making their fifth appearance is uh, Mr. Charles Lloyd Pack, uncredited as the bank cashier. Mm. Yes. Cool. Uh, see, yield to the night bedazzled and man who haunted himself. We do have one person making their sixth appearance, Brian Alton. Yes. Um, yep. Who was in a lot of the carry-ons and and, and Doctor in the House and stuff as well as. Uh, Man Who Never Was in Private Progress. And then seventh appearance, uh, we've got two people. Uh, you'll know who they are because you've already mentioned them. Um, so um, <laughs> that's Sidney James yes. and Bernard Lee. Wow, what a what a pairing that is. Because of course Bernard Lee was in Doctor No, Dunkirk, from Russia With Love, Whistle Down the Wind, Third Man and Goldfinger, and um, Sid James was in Quatermass 2, Carry On Regardless, Carry On Constable, uh, Lavender Hill Mob, Free Hats for Lisa, and Hell Drivers. An incredible lineup once again. Well, this is it. Virtually everybody in in this film has been in something we've seen previously, because uh, it yeah. wasn't wasn't a massive cast. Um, but you know, there was a few th- few people in it that haven't really appeared much in other things. I mean, obviously, we recognise such as Kay Walsh. We've seen yep. her in other things before. It just doesn't happen to be anything that we've watched. So she, at some <laughs> yeah. point. We'll, we'll drop in, but those are waiting in the wings at the end of the driveway, ready to, to make a sprint sometimes for the for the front door. Yeah. I mentioned J.B. Priestley in passing, who was the credited writer of the screenplay. Uncredited yeah. is a chap called yeah, jo- is J.B. Thompson. Thompson. Uh, who's already appeared three times with films. And he's going to be um, in so our next episode. Yeah. And he'll be in our next episode in the director's chair. You know, it's, it's incredible, the pedigree that's in this movie for something that is never really spoken about. I take it you got this from Talking Pictures TV? Absolutely, I got it from the, the marvellous Talking Pictures TV. Um, I saw this, I think, about two years ago. Yeah. It was the first time I'd seen it. As usual happens with a film of this age and, and our watching habits mm. um, over the years, there was bits of it I thought, hmm, this seems familiar. Yeah. But I certainly hadn't watched it in its entirety and actually knew what the plot was or anything until I had watched it two years ago. It was just one scene maybe that was familiar, or at least rang some bells. But absolutely, Talking Pictures TV was the my inroad into into this and very grateful for it because well, yeah. I, I say I think a bit of a lost gem in a number of ways. I, granted, because it was earlier in the career of a number of these people, like Sidney James and Alec Guinness himself, mm-hmm. I think this is only something like the fourth film he'd done. Yeah. I think if in retrospect then maybe if it had been a bit later in either of those the, those people's careers, they might have thrown a bit more money at it, and the production values might have been a, a little bit a little bit better. But yes, none yeah. of none of that distracts from the, the the quality of the the plot and the script and the acting, um, because there's not a bad performance in any of it. There's um, certainly either. no recognised stars of the time. 1950, Bernard Lee wasn't as well known at this point. You know, all these people that we spoke about. Their careers come five, six, seven years later where they become household names. So it's almost a B-movie, yeah. this one, isn't it? It's, it's, it's just one of those ones that is an undiscovered gem, as you always say. And it's the thing that Talking Pictures TV do so marvellously is that they keep hold of these movies that we probably would have seen during the week on the BBC Two or even the early days of Channel 4 where they were showing the old movies. Not necessarily the Sunday matinee, you know, because they would reserve for some of the bigger movies, you know. But it would, one of those ones would be tucked away in the schedule somewhere. And it would have been shown on TV quite frequently. And it's only thanks yeah. to Talking Pictures TV that he's still seeing the light of day. Fantastic movie. Again, I probably saw it, I reckon, the early days of Channel 4 one afternoon. Yeah. You know, that was probably the last time I saw it. And this is only a, a slight aside. Is um, the, the violin player. Right, I was going to ask about this because I had to look into it, right? <laughs> is he credited as David McCallum? I think he is on the screen. But when David you look... McCallum Senior. Right, because yes. on IMDb it says David McCallum Senior, and I thought, no, it can't be. The guy was born in Scotland, same as 
you know, the David McCallum. It's his father, yeah. Is it? Because I've yeah. just read that he had two sons called Ian and something else. It doesn't mention him being the father of... My, my understanding was that it was his his father. Right, okay. Um, okay, so. I'm just going to go back onto IMDb, because he plays the blind fiddler, and he's billed as David McCallum, and on IMDb is David McCallum Sr. And it says here, Concert master violinist who played for the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, uh, the London Philharmonic, Sir Thomas Beecham Symphony Orchestra and the Scottish National Orchestra. Married to Dorothy Dorman, a concert cellist for the London Philharmonic Orchestra, two sons, Ian and David, primarily known as a musician, however he did appear in one film last holiday, so he had a son called David. Is it definitely yeah. him? And if you read oh, it's David there. McCallion Jr., it's there. Uh, as he is, even though he's, he's not really junior at the moment, is yeah. he? Because he's... 89 years old or something Bless him, um, yes. if you you read his uh, wikipedia mccallum was born in 19th of september yep. uh, 1933 in glasgow the second of two sons of orchestral violinist david mccallum senior and dorothy dorman a cellist incredible and also i've got a funny feeling i'm just going to go back i think he did the music for inspector calls yes i've got i, I seem to remember him having uh, some link to that and the some kind of um, J.B. Priestley thread mm. running through because I mean I do I do like J.B. Priestley's work I've got more into it recently than that than when younger it's sort of it's come a bit more to the fore and I mean him being relatively local to me as well as it turned out from Bradford area there's some cracking stuff there um, when it's actually then turned into um, the visual mediums as well as written and, in, and Inspector Coles is one of the the key examples and this is another one where you know the source material is is key to it being such a good film and uh, it's very apparent that just because you've got good source material like this doesn't mean you're gonna get a good film because no. obviously the remake of inspector calls a remake of last holiday oh queen latifah <laughs> of course we haven't mentioned this no <laughs> and there's a reason for that <sighs> For some reason, it was in the 90s or the early 2000s. It was loosely remade. Yeah. With Queen Latifah. And I think loosely is even being generous. Not really sure whether in 70 years' time there are going to be people eulogising so strongly about the Queen Latifah version as opposed to like we are about this one. I think... You're probably right. This is more closely linked to being there or Forrest Gump than it is to that actual remake. Yeah. Um, and also, just looking down the Wikipedia entry, it says, see also Joe versus the Volcano, another film of a similar premise, which is is really, isn't it? I'm sure. Well, yeah, yeah. Sometimes somebody thinks they're going to die. And there's a thing called The Blue Castle, which is a novel with a similar plot. I don't want to go into the ending because the ending is a wonderful surprise it certainly was for me watching it. yeah and I, I think that there has uh, apparently at the time from what i've read at the time there were some less sophisticated critics mm. who were unappreciative of the ending but i think it's it's a perfect way to take it I don't think there's any room for criticism there i think it, mm. it, it works exactly as it, it should it, it just and, elevates um, it up a little bit more i think from what we've seen over the previous sort of 65, 70 minutes, it just piques your interest a little bit more. It just takes you down a road you don't think you're going to go. In more ways than one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't really don't want to say too much. <laughs> Talking to critics, let me just read this out to you, mate. Bosley Crowther, the famous New York film critic, called it an amusing and poignant little picture that is simple and modest in structure, but delightfully rich in character, which is absolutely true. Okay. But then touching on what you have just said about some harsher criticism and particularly the ending uh robert murphy said that last holiday was not as good as it should have been given the excellent performances by guinness walsh and james in particular he described the film's production values as shabby and singled out Priestley's trick ending as he describes it for even harsher criticism calling it disastrously inappropriate i think shabby is is extremely harsh harsh and, yeah. and and strong i think i think it's as you said it's not an an a-class movie of the time it no. is it's somewhere between a, 
an A and a B, I would say. I don't think it's quite a B movie, but mm-hmm. there are little bits and pieces that are difficult to define as, as such, but where the production is obviously working to to a budget as such, but they spent the money on the, the people who were in it rather than um, some of the other things they could have spent it on, then it was money well spent, in my, my opinion. Because what we ended up with, you know, is is a, a, a worthy movie for people's attention. And trick endings, I think, is is again, I think that's a, a overly critical. Yeah. I don't, th- I don't think, you know, most most films that are of any worth and revisiting have uh, an ending that makes you think. So I don't think, you know, describing it as a, as a trick. Um, no, not at all. Not it's, at it's all. It's fair. No. Okay. Well, I can't remember if I'd seen this. It, it certainly was like a first-time watch for me this time round, and I watched it Thursday evening, and thoroughly enjoyed it. As you said, it doesn't outlast its welcome. It's just under the ninety minutes, which is always a good length of a movie, as we've said many times before. It's interesting to see very early Alec Guinness. I can't believe this is only the second time he's cropped up on the show. Early Sid James again, a bonus for me for that man. And and then we've got all these little famous faces popping up. In a really delightful way, like Peter Jones and Esma Cannon. Moultrie Kelso, who we're getting to know and love now. Yeah. Um, Ernest Thessinger. You know, all these people that we're fully aware of in a movie that people aren't fully aware of. And I think I'm just going to sort of categorise this as an unknown gem, as we said, an underseen little bit of magic that you couldn't do no wrong for, you know, if you've got a spare 90 minutes and you just want something that will keep your interest for all that time and take you down a road at the end that you don't think it's going to go down, as I say certainly worth your time mate and and deserves to be seen more it's just one of those gentle but thought-provoking in some respects but not in any heavy way just sort of just uh, you know subtlety it's just an enjoyable charming little story that pops up it does does fill the time you come away going oh that was that was nice. Yeah, um, that was a and, pleasant and, surprise. And that's yeah. it. And, and you know, there's some unexpected delights in it with regards to some bits of dialogue or what the ending might make you think about. It's a film that does exactly what you want it to do, particularly like you've said, if it's a you know a wet Wednesday afternoon film type thing, it just it's somewhat uplifting and it'll work. You know, yeah. It, so it's a it's a film that you know I'm, I'm happy that you you enjoyed. Mm. And not all films that we watch are we able to say that we enjoy, not because there's anything wrong with it, but some films aren't films that are enjoyed, the more ones that are experienced. I mean, you know, Hunger, for example, that's not, <laughs> you don't enjoy that. That's a great film, but you don't enjoy it. Whereas this one, you can openly say, yes, I enjoyed that. Yeah, um, absolutely. For a lot of different so, reasons as well. A lot of different yeah. reasons. So Fantastic. Okay, that was Last Holiday from 1950. We'll be back in a second with what we're watching next time, which should hopefully, if all things go to plan, should be the three of us. Tony should be joining us. But also, it's my turn to choose the next movie for when Stephen and I get together, which will probably be in January, we think, late January. What we're watching next time, back after this. next time right we sort of hinted at this earlier and if you'd listened to the previous episode that the three of us were together which was Crawl C we would have revealed that Tony Stephen and I are going to be reviewing the Guns of Navarone J. Lee Thompson again brilliant I mean let's face it it's uh, although some people might not see it as British we certainly know it is because mm. um, we're the arbiters um, <laughs> incredible story with an incredible cast and it's very cinematic yeah you know, for that so in some ways it's it's a bit of a polar opposite to what we've just watched 
It's one but, of those movies we describe as a British international movie, I think. Yes. It's one of, one of those big budget, let's bring in a couple of Hollywood stars and, and just make it a bit of a bigger blockbuster type spectacle. And a bit, a bit like Northwest Frontier. I nearly said Northwest Passage, but I checked myself there. Northwest <laughs> Frontier, because Lauren Bacall was brought in and Herbert Lom was sort of more of an international actor at this point, you know. So we've got. Gregory Peck, Anthony Quinn, along with David Niven and all those famous British faces. So it's putting things on a on a bigger scale. I mean, anything that that is a British film that tends to be set outside of the British Isles as well tends to also give it a different different cashier. So and, and the defining thing is that David Niven and Stanley Baker are in this. So you know, no matter what movie they're in, that's British, sod it, you know, it's just, it just, yeah. it's, it's the law. Uh, this is it, and, you know, we get the final say on that. Of course um, do. And whether it's British or not, and I think, you know, it's one that does have some international renown as well. Uh, I mean, even to the extent where there's a, um, I think I said when we announced it on the, sh- the show um, last, that there's a, a really good um, Scar song. Um, there at is. The time. Um, there yeah, it is. Uh, it was the Scatterlights, wasn't it? The yeah. Scatterlights recorded it. Yeah. Oh, so, um, so no, it was internationally. Uh, <laughs> Touched all corners of the earth, mate. I'm, I'm going to have to set aside an entire Sunday afternoon. It's t- over two and a half hours long, which I'd forgotten about. And believe it or not, I, I think I've got a copy still on Laserdisc of this. Wow. So I may dig out the Laserdisc player and, and see if it still works. So. See how we go with that. Anyway, that's Guns and Rome, which is the next time the three of us are together. The next time Stephen and I are together, as I say, will be way after Christmas, possibly after the next Hammer recording, which is The Curse of Frankenstein. I said what's to, it going to be? Well, I said to you earlier, didn't I? It's a case of we've got enough movies to choose from. The British film industry did go, you know, is, is still in existence and has been going for a bloody long time. So there's plenty of movies out there to choose from. Why do we struggle to find something? to bring to the table you know um and as you said there's just too much there's just too much choice out there i've decided to go back to 1990 so not not too far back and we're going to pick up on one of the sequences of movies that we started way back a couple of years ago we're going to go into the next mike lee mate oh and it is my favorite mike lee movie life is sweet with alison steadman jim broadbent Claire Skinner, Jane Horrocks, yeah. uh, Timothy Spall. It's it's the one that really brought Mike Lee to my attention. Although I'd seen Nuts in May and um, Abigail's Party and things like that before, this was the one uh, that got a major cinema release. It got brought to the... I think it won a few awards somewhere down the line. And it's just the one that made me fall in love with the man. So... I know it's probably... I don't know if it's one of your favourite Mike Lees, but I know you certainly like the movie. Yeah, I certainly do like it. I mean, it's not the favourite of mine, but I certainly concur with what you're saying about its prominence and and why it it would draw somebody in to be a further fan of of the man's work um, as an entry point. I think it's one of the the better ones. Yeah. People work... People don't need to do his films in chronological order, and if they come to this one first, it's probably the, the one of the better ones to start with, and exactly. then go back a little bit with that, some of the previous ones. So, well, we did. anticipating this for a while, as you say, and we've been doing other things, but um, it's certainly uh, going to be great when we, uh, you know, get oh, to be able I, to talk about it. I do like it, this. So. I, I watched this to death when it first came out. I haven't seen it, I'd say, for a good ten years, and. There is no plot to describe. Of IMDb, their their plot line is a shop assistant, her cook husband and their twin daughters ponder their lives over a few weeks in a working class suburb north of London. And and that is the plot. But there is some underlying darkness with what's going on with a couple of the characters. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Stephen Ray's in it as well, isn't he, I think? It's got kind of the uh, some of the usual cast as well as the AK. And this is what happens with Mike Lill films and... and Ken Loach ones that you get the appearance of the odd person who went on to something you know bigger later on. Typically, yes, Mike Lee. There's there's not a story in the classic sense. It's it's a snapshot of some people's lives that starts and finishes 
without <laughs> that necessarily being a, a starting point or a termination point exactly. in the story. It's just a, I think that's what made it really sort of attractive to me. There was the fact that he he broke a lot of rules while making the the, the the narrative of this story. It's just like almost fly on the wall, almost fly on the wall watching this family, and it's because of their everyday activities, which to some people are a bit out of the ordinary. Some of the stuff they get up to, but at the same time, I love it. Absolutely love it. I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be prime watching after Christmas, mate. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to that. It's not a Christmas film, thankfully, so we don't you know we're not missing out on anything by by waiting until after Christmas to watch it. <laughs> okay, so that's Life is Sweet, which will be next time we're together. Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you once again this fine Saturday morning. You too. Always my pleasure. We'll leave it at that. I'll see you with Tony next time for Guns and Averone. Cheers, mate. See you later. Take care. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir. I'm sick of pain. <laughs>